0: Welcome to the Mercy Comments Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Let me pray before we begin. Father, we are uh, unashamedly a dependent people. Um, That doesn't mean we aren't strong or have power or be, are able to live in resurrection life, but we are dependent on you for that strength and for that power. And we are grateful when we are reminded not only that we have it, but we need you. And so, God, I want to pray this morning just a refrain from that worship song, that we'd become aware of your presence, that if we haven't already, we'd be aware that you are speaking to us through our singing worship that we'd become aware of what your Holy Spirit is saying through your precious word, that you would enable me to be faithful to the preaching of your word, and you'd enable us to be receptive to what your Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Wow, this is the last chapter in Luke, the penultimate uh, Penultimate, thank you. See, I'm training people. That that means that the second to last time we will be in Luke, Tables and Sinners. We're looking at the last chapter of Luke. And last week we discussed the resurrection with the two men that were walking from uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus and then ended up back at Jerusalem. And so here we find ourselves, these two men um, in Luke's narrative have returned Um, you'll remember that Jesus appeared to them on the road. Uh, They didn't realize it was Jesus. When they sat down to share a meal, as Jesus broke the bread, um, they became aware that this was Jesus, and Jesus disappeared. They're like, we've got to tell someone about this. And so they rushed back to Jerusalem, and they said, guess what? And they said, we know, he's risen. He even appeared to Peter, and the women were right. That's a phrase that men have had to say a lot for the centuries, and the women were right, and you know, because they usually are. Um, and so Jesus does four interesting things during this time. He eats with them, he teaches and commissions them, and then he leaves them. And so we're picking up in Luke 24, verse 36, and I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. While they were saying these things, these are, these are the disciples that have just received the two guys back from Emmaus. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Well, okay. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Uh, Other translations say that they were doubting in their joy. So they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. He said to them, do you have anything to eat? I'm like, if I'd been resurrected from the dead... This makes me really connect with Jesus, because the first thing he says is, do you have something to eat? You know what I mean? I feel a real kinship here with, with Jesus. But why is he saying that? They give him a piece of baked fish, and taking it, he ate in front of them. What is he doing? He is making sure that they understand he is not some vision, some apparition, He's not a dream that they're having. He is literally alive in a body in front of them, and he is able to consume food, and they are able to touch him. I was reading this account in John's Gospel, um, and I don't know the relationship that John and Thomas had, but I do have to say this, that every time Thomas looks bad, it's in John's Gospel. You know what I mean? (laughs) Luke doesn't mention that anyone specific doubted. He just said, and there were doubters, you know. But John makes a real beeline for the very specific person that was doubting. And and throughout John's gospel, we look at Thomas, and when, when John is telling us the story about Jesus and Lazarus, and I've preached about this before, and Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to Lazarus. What does Thomas say? Fine, let's go and we'll die with him. That's that's Thomas, you know. When Jesus says, I'm going to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where you're going, where I'm going, you cannot go. Thomas is like, What? Where are you going? What is happening? What this doesn't make any sense. And then when Thomas is told that Jesus our Lord is risen, he says, I will not believe this until I put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands that I've touched. His wounds. And he does that. He does that. And he believes. And Jesus says, blessed are you who believe, but more blessed are you who don't see and believe. The lesson here is that Jesus is welcoming of seekers and skeptics. And there's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. There's also a difference between disbelief and unbelief. Doubt is a sense of actually being able to say, I, I understand." What is happening here? I'm seeing Jesus, but I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm questioning. There are things that don't make a whole lot of sense here. Disbelief is like I can't believe this is happening. You know, as most of them were thinking. Uh, but unbelief is the unwillingness to believe. And the most amazing thing about Thomas is he became the apostle to India, and he took the gospel to India and was martyred for his faith in India. And Jesus uses every single one of us, even in the context of our doubts, even in the context of little faith, he uses us to bring glory to him. The second thing Jesus does is that he teaches and commissions them. And so we move to part two of Luke's story, which is in Acts, Luke and Acts are basically, two volumes of the story. The beginning part is what Jesus began to do, and the second part is what the empowered disciples through the Holy Spirit are doing. So we pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Again, there's a sense in which Luke is making sure that people understand that this is not a ghost, this is not a vision, while they were eating together. Jesus baptized, sorry, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And again... Jesus had been with them for 40 days the resurrected Jesus. He had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. And still there are people that are like so so now. So now are you going to release Israel from the clutches of Roman oppression? So now now this is the time. And still they are not fully understanding what Jesus has come for. Jesus replied, "'It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by His own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.'" What I love about this is that perfect theology and infallible biblical understanding is not a prerequisite to be a witness of Jesus. If we can see anything, and Sean will show us this next week, if we can see anything, these are fallible men and women that have a belief whose lives have been changed and are witnesses of what Jesus has done that are this in-between time before they are filled with the Holy Spirit, able to actually be witnesses. Jesus requires us to be obedient even when we don't have full clarity of what is going on. And clearly, they didn't have full clarity. And then... He leaves them. Now, I know he spent 40 days. Usually, we talk about the ascension 40 days after Easter, but I, I wanted to preach about this this evening. A week ago, Karin and I were at a, at a wedding. It was the day before Easter. We had a lot of stuff to do. And so, Karin leads over and says to me, are we going to do an Irish goodbye? Does anyone know what an Irish goodbye is? why is it called an Irish goodbye? Why, why did the Irish end up with that whole thing? Exactly, you know? And I said to her, why is it called an Irish goodbye? And we argued about what it was. And, well, the, the Irish goodbye is because um, in a pub, when you say goodbye, they check whether you can drive home and they'll keep your keys if they don't think you can drive home. And so the Irish goodbye is just to sneak out. It's a very bad idea, okay? <laughs> to do that. Anyway, the reason why I'm saying that is Jesus' departure was not an Irish goodbye. Uh, Jesus' departure was not like, what, we looked around and he's gone. It was was an earth-shaking event, and and we pick it up in Acts 1, verse 9. After Jesus had said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I just wanna say, when you think about what these guys have been through in the last three days, I think there could have been just a calmer way to do things with Jesus. But that doesn't seem to be hitting here. While he was going up, as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to him. And they said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you in heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. The ascension is an obscure and neglected topic. Uh, I think in my entire career, over 20 years of preaching, I've maybe preached on the Ascension three times. And part of it is because it's, it's kind of like, you know, the credits roll, and after the resurrection, it's over. My wife and kids, we, we watch TV shows together, and one of their massive frustrations is that as soon as the plot resolves, like the important part of the movie resolves, the person is caught, we find out who the killer is, all of those kinds of things, I used to fast-forward, I'm like, it's, we're done, this is, this is it. All the emotional connections that come back together, to, you know, we're not. Now I'm not allowed to do that, now I just get up and leave, you know? Um, and that still frustrates them. Why? Because most of the time, it's over. You know, the plot has ended, I don't care if they got together, I don't care what happens, you know what I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I know. Anyone want to invite Karin to watch movies, there we go. So. The problem is, if we think of the ascension as something that happens as the credits roll, we miss a really critical part of the nature of Jesus and our relationship with him. What do we need to understand is this really did happen. Uh, the ascension is not a metaphor. It's not the idea that, um, that now Jesus is, is in a heavenly realm, which he is. This actually, like his resurrection, like his incarnation, this thing really happened. Now, it's difficult to believe and understand. And, and Paul, one of the apostles, is talking to a young church planner, and he's saying the exact same thing. He says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, he's talking about Jesus, he was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. It is. It's weird. It's mysterious. It's difficult to understand. But it's not weirder or more difficult to understand than every single aspect of the core of our faith because, and this is a massive surprise, the core of our faith is supernatural. That's the point. The Trinity, the virgin birth, Jesus's life, his death and resurrection, and now his ascension is all one complete story to help us understand that this is a supernatural spiritual event. But we don't really think that the ascension adds anything to our lives. We think that it's like the byproduct of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, kind of like Jesus left his wallet behind. Jesus is gone, but we have his wallet, the Holy Spirit. We can, you know, kind of spend that as as we want, you know. It's not a synonym for the resurrection. Consistently, it says that he was raised from the dead and he ascended as two separate and importantly different events. Understand this, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Do you know what happened to Lazarus? Lazarus. He died again, the most unlucky guy in the Bible, okay? Resurrection was victory over Satan, sin, and death, but ascension was the establishing of Jesus' rule over all the earth and preparing a place for us and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Critically, ascension joins earth to heaven. Now, what does that even mean? Well, let's go back to go forward. In the Garden of Eden, God dwelt with man, physical man. There was intimacy, there was joy, there was purpose. Heaven and earth were one place. There wasn't a separation of the realm in which God lived and the realm in which humanity lived. But sin brought a separation, and not just separation between man and God, but it brought a separation between heaven and earth. And heaven be- became the dwelling place of God, full of beauty, full of love, full of justice and joy, and earth became the dwelling dwelling place of man, full of pain, sin, injustice, decay, and death. But God so loved that He wanted to restore not only humanity, but all of earth to its pre-fall creation. God is on a restoration journey to restore heaven to earth. And so, he created man in his image, and he came in his image to be able to walk on this earth as a way to restore earth to heaven and man to God. In Jesus' incarnation, God created a way. And I know this is hard to follow, but just in, in Jesus' incarnation, God created a way for heaven to come to earth. That's why every time... Luke and the writers of the Gospels are talking about wherever Jesus went, it says, Behold, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold, for the kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. Wherever Jesus went, heaven went. So the incarnation brought heaven to earth. The death and resurrection of Jesus dealt with the reason that we were separated from God. But the ascension brings earth back to heaven. So this is a bit of a mind blow. The only aspect of humanity that is in the heavenly spiritual realm now is a human body. Jesus' human body. That's a mind blow. God is restoring that, and it's like a promise of what we will look like. So where is Jesus now? Ephesians tells us, In verse 20 of chapter 1, that God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him on the right side, sorry, it sat him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power and any power that might be named not only now but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him the head of everything in the church, which is his body, us, his body, the church is the fullness of Christ that fills everything in every way. Now, when the disciples looked up and Jesus was obscured, it wasn't an earthly cloud that obscured him. It was a cloud of glory, the same kind of cloud that descended upon Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's the sense in which God is showing that there is a break into the heavenly realm. Jesus rose in the self-same body that these disciples had breakfast with, that these disciples touched, that these disciples walked with. He has risen in the same body, but it's a 2.0 body. I can't wait for my 2.0 body. We've talked about this before. I think probably between 24 and 25, it's like my peak body, you know, in terms (laughs) of that. You know, no knee problems no issues keona sent me a meme the other day saying a 5 year old falls off a roof i'm okay a 50 year old sneezes in bed and breaks three ribs you know what I mean? <laughs> she is reminding me that i look for the restoration of my body while my body groans Amen. that's right jesus didn't unzip his earth suit and spirit flowed up he bodily ascended. Why is that important? Because he joins the physical and heavenly universe together. Now, this is a bit of a mind blow. Jesus is not in the physical universe, yet at the same time he takes the physical universe into the heavenly realm. Now, you're like, this is too hard to understand. No. We have movies about this all the time. Right? Harry Potter, What's it, platform nine and a half, whatever? Nine and three quarters? Why? Why three quarters? I don't know. Right? There's this this space where you're like, this is ordinary and this is normal. And actually, as you step through it, C.S. Lewis's wardrobe in Tanani, it's the same idea. It's that physically we step into a whole other realm. And that is what Jesus did. Christ's ascension reinstates that which was lost in the garden. It's not just his death and resurrection which was absolutely necessary to deal with the separation, but it's his ascension that enables us to experience a fresh intimacy, purpose and power. We see God's commitment to restoring his mind creation, and he's not embarrassed, he's not hurt, he's not angry or disappointed because he has to fix something. My wife keeps reminding me that it's hard to ask me for help to fix something when I'm annoyed that I've fixed it. So there's this idea that we have, so, for example, she'll come and she'll say, can you fix this? And my answer should be, of course, my precious wife. I will happily and gladly, with a joyful heart, fix this thing you broke when I told you not to use it in that way. You know? <laughs> Is that my response? No, no, no. My response should be, I will happily do this. And sometimes I think we think that God is like, I have to fix the mess you've made. I've told you not to do this. I've told you not to act like this. Now I have to fix it. And the the thing that we need to grasp, that God is not that God, God is not like me, but God is like, I absolutely will do that. And the way that I have promised you is by the life of, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, you can be assured that this will be restored. Shame and guilt melt away. Pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency at the same time. We get to revel in our identity. At that time, the Jews are like, are we subjects of Caesar? Um, are we Jewish? Are we Greek? Are we Gnostics? Now we are the people of God, the resurrected King. I have access to God the Father in a unique, powerful, and intimate way. I belong to Him. He rescues me and He wants me. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 says this, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated, where is he? Seated at the right hand of God. And again, we're not talking about above like the sky. We're talking about in the context of the heavenly realm. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Remember, we buried someone in baptism and resurrection, and we raised her up. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word is crypto. Does that sound familiar? Cryptocurrency, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Now, crypto is an interesting Greek word. It also means literally to creep, okay? Um, And so 10 years ago when cryptocurrency came out, this was the idea behind cryptocurrency, is that it was hidden, it was safe, and it was free from confiscation. So that was the idea behind cryptocurrency. And so in a sense that you're hidden with Christ, you are safe and free from confiscation. Now, trying to think about what people use cryptocurrency for, okay, that that goes out there. So I'm hidden, safe, secure, free from confiscation. No one can grab me. No one can claim me other than Jesus. But I'm not hidden in this way. As I said, we watch some TV shows together, and sometimes the girls watch something on my profile, which then means I get a suggestion, and I got a suggestion for MTV's Help, I'm in a Secret Relationship, (laughs) okay? I'm like, I wonder what this is about, so they have this little trailer, and it's about people that are in relationships, but the person is hiding them. They don't want anyone else to know that they're in a relationship. This is not the kind of hiddenness that we're talking about when you are hidden with Christ. When he's talking about you are hidden with Christ, there is a sense of deep protection and ownership. When we are hidden with Christ, we are safe. We are free from being snatched, from anyone being able to say to us, You belong to me. I don't belong to you, I don't belong to my past. I don't belong to my sin. I don't belong to my culture. I belong to Jesus. I'm hidden in him. The ascension elevates who we currently are, but gives us hope in terms of who, we'll ultimately be, uh, who we will ultimately become. Our resurrection is complete. We live in resurrection life, but we are hopeful of our ascension life in our new bodies. It, this gives us great confidence. It gives us great confidence in terms of our normal walk with Jesus, but it gives us even greater confidence when it comes to accessing God. Because in Romans 8 verse 34, when Paul is saying who is going to put a charge against people that call themselves Christians, who is going to condemn, it is Jesus Christ who died, and even more, who was raised, and even more, who is at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who pleads our case for us. Other translations say intercedes for us or prays for us. We have Jesus himself seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. That we are able to walk into the throne of grace with such confidence. This morning we were praying out there. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and because he's gone through the curtain and because he's seated at the right hand of God, I have absolute boldness and confidence to walk into the throne of grace in my time of need and say, help. And Jesus says, I know you. The Father says, I know you because of Jesus. We have a sense of great confidence. We have a sense of great joy that helps us with intimacy. We have a sense of great belonging. Yesterday, a friend of mine from Singapore came. He's also from South Africa. Um, and I, uh, I was going to take him for dinner. And he said, I said to him, well, where do you want to go? What, what don't you have in Singapore? And what did he say? Mexican. Mexican. <laughs> so, so, in my deeply self-sacrificial nature that I have, you know. So I said, okay, like, do you want Mexican, like you know, like cool Mexican or do you want like authentic Mexican?" And he says, the more authentic, the better, you know? So I took him to El Camino Real. You guys know El Camino Real, right? You don't get more authentic than that. And um, and, and we're standing there and we're trying to order, and we ordered beef cheek tacos and a tostada and some Ensenada-style fish tacos. And he looks at us and he's like, so where are you from? And if you know, I'm like, that is, I hate that question. I'm I'm from Fullerton. I've been here for 20 years, you know? (laughs) So it's like, obviously, he senses that I don't belong because I'm the way that I'm asking for the food. And he says, no, but like, where are you really from? And I'm like, great. I'm I'm, I'm originally from South Africa. We, We do this whole thing. I'm constantly reminded that I don't belong. I'm constantly reminded that I don't fit in. And the reality about the fact that we have a resurrected Savior that is seated at the right hand of God means that our belonging will never be shaken because our belonging is not on Jew or Greek or male or female. Is that in an instant when we step into that throne of grace, there is recognition. You belong here. It doesn't matter how you speak. It doesn't matter if you don't know what a beef cheek taco is. It doesn't matter. You belong here. It redirects our thoughts, our goals, and our desires heavenward. As Paul says, set your mind on things that are above. Those moments where you feel like you just, you, you don't belong. And not, not in like a, a heavy way, but sometimes this nagging sense of, I, I know I don't belong here. Well, it's true. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. This is not the end of our story. What Jesus showed us in His ascension, that is the end of our story, but, but we don't live as separated from the world that we're called to love. The spirit is the pledge, the deposit, the guarantee of Christ's presence in us. We have deep purpose. So we have joy, we have intimacy, we have purpose. We are included in the story. You know, if you think about the idea as two runners are running and the one runner hands off the baton, in a sense what Jesus did, um, and Sean will talk more about this next week, but what Jesus did is handed the baton in terms of the coming of the kingdom of God to his church. He gave them the power with the Holy Spirit, but he handed the baton, but he didn't just stop. The cool thing about Jesus handing the baton over to his church is that he continues to run with us, and he continues to walk alongside us, and he continues to encourage us. Garrett Dawson says that we can't withdraw from the world because it's skin and bone, breathing, sweating, thinking humanity that, keeps, that Christ keeps and still loves and still wants. So Christians are drawn out of the world in order to be sent to the world to give our lives for the sake of the world just as Christ did. So if you're a sojourner, you don't hate the place that you're at. If you're a pilgrim, you don't hate the place that you're at. Grit your teeth and try to avoid as much of the ugliness as you can. But we make it a place of springs, an oasis in the desert. Our job, as part of the family of God, the church of God, is to make this place in the desert, a place of springs, an oasis. Now, The only thing that I can think of, and obviously my mind is on travel right now, the only thing I can think of is imagine, like the airport for me is a desert, right? I hate the airport. But you know what is the oasis in the desert? It's a first class lounge, right? (laughs) You know, and I've had occasion, once, to... (laughs) To be in a first-class lounge. But you you know the thing about the first-class lounge? It's also one of the most exclusive places you can actually try and gain access to. Good morning, sir. May I see your ticket? What are they checking? Do I have the right to be here? Once I've crossed that, though, it is this oasis. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine us being the kind of people that set up first-class lounges everywhere where everyone is invited? Where instead of, can I see your stub? What we are doing is like, this is a place of springs. This is an oasis. Everyone is welcome. Come and experience not only the resurrected, but ascended life of Jesus. We are creating colonies of heaven on earth. The, the ascension, remember, joined, rejoined earth to heaven. And we have the privilege of being those in the kingdom that are setting up colonies of heaven on earth. We are joining earth to heaven in our words, in our deeds, in our relationships. And that's why we say that we revel in the mercies of God. We proclaim the mercies of God. We demonstrate the mercies of God by the way in which we live. And we participate in the mercies of God for the common good of our city and the world. Yesterday, so many of us were doing exactly that we were participating in love, Fullerton. What we're doing is creating a space of oasis, a colony of heaven on earth. Lastly, power. This is not just power to witness, but this is power to resist sin, power to love our enemies, and power to establish his rule. The ascension of Jesus signifies this, the fulfillment of his promise That the disciples never truly, fully understood. It is better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit may come. The disciples always struggled to reconcile the idea of Jesus' humanity and His Lordship. Now, we don't face that same problem. None of us, as far as I'm aware, have ever walked with a physical Jesus. But the disciples did. And one of the difficult things that they needed to do was reconcile the fact that this was a man that acted and smelt like and spoke like them, and yet he was the creator and sustainer of everything they've ever seen or could imagine. Now, we don't have that challenge. We can have an intimate relationship with the creator and sustainer of all life. Our challenge is a different one, that we don't really believe and invest in the truth That I can have an intimate relationship with the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit. It really just is a belief and investment attitude that we need to shift. I can understand the disciples basically saying, I sat with him. I walked with him. I talked with him. And now he's risen. And now my relationship with him is in intimacy and prayer and devotion through the Holy Spirit. That is difficult for us. That is what we experience. Every time we open God's word, there's a promise. The Spirit will lead you into truth. Every time we worship, every time we fellowship together, there is an opportunity for Jesus to be revealed in a deeper way. We have our sins forgiven, a new family, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our future, and we have a very present power to engage this world with joy and purpose. The saints of old referred to what we live in as the ascended life. Not just resurrected life, but the ascended life. A life that is characterized by power as we claim our new citizenship. Finally, Banji can come up. The writer of Hebrews says this. As kind of a capstone to what I'm talking about with regards to the ascension. Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We talked about that last week. That's what he did, the once for all sacrifice. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sin of many, will appear a second time. This is critical not to deal with sin because that is over. He's not appearing a second time to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly wait for him. So when Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. But he will return
1: for us and we will see him in glory Thanks, Nick <clears throat> uh, we're gonna respond as is our uh, as is our custom which I love um, with uh, communion and uh, just thinking about the uh, the reality of what Nick uh, taught us today expounded on um, that the table represents a physical, tangible thing that is a reminder. And we gather together physically. Uh, we get—we might not get to see Jesus with our eyes, but we get to see Christ in one another. You know, so much of what Nick talked about today and what um, the, the ascension represents, I, I wrote down that Christ's ascension restores our full access. It restores. Jesus closed the loop. He brought... He brought heaven to us, and He has made a way for us to go back to the Father. He has finished the circle, uh, and we will be raised anew ourselves because that path has already been made. That loop has already been uh, closed. And this morning, you may need a fresh touch of intimacy or of power or of purpose, a reminder that God is here for you In all three of those ways and um, I'm gonna give us a moment to just pause maybe I I was I was was just thinking about um, when Jesus uh, in Matthew's account right right before the right before the ascension where Jesus says these words I want you to hear them I think I think a lot of times like what Nick was saying we can just approach Christianity as a principle we have a different struggle, like Nick said, to the early disciples. I can, if you put yourself in their shoes, it would be hard to imagine that this guy uh, is the creator of heaven and earth. For us, we didn't see him like I'm looking at Neil right now. So I think the temptation for us is that Gnostic kind of idea, that it's just a principle But everything that we're doing, what we hold in our hands is a tangible, physical reality that Jesus Christ is real and embodied and will return again embodied. And in the meantime, he has said this to you you and and me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not in some abstract way, the literal reality of that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them, baptizing them in Trinitarian reality, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in teaching them to obey, tangibly active obey, everything that I commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have the Spirit. He is with us. He is with us gathered, and this is a a reminder, a physical, tangible reminder that He is with us. Whenever we gather, we eat in remembrance of Him. We also receive the cup, and we are reminded that our sin has been dealt with that is no longer an issue for us we are in christ we are in christ and we get to join him in his work and we take and we drink in remembrance of him as the band goes back into worship there's going to be people to my left and to your right that are available to pray for you Um, maybe you need a uh, kind of a fresh touch of a reminder that that the intimacy of heaven is open to you, that the power of heaven is open to you, or the purpose, the purposes of heaven are open to you. If you need prayer, please don't leave today without prayer. Lord, we thank you that, um, that you have not left us orphans, that you sent your spirit to us. Would you remind us this week that your spirit is really with us, that not only are we hidden in Christ, but there is... There is power available to us. We can hear your voice. Lord, would you meet us this week in our interactions and our planning and the different things that each of us are going to face this week. Each of us will go from here and walk into different things this week, and you will be there with us. Teach us to follow you in your voice. Teach us, Lord. We We are your students just like those first students were. Would you, would you continue to teach us? We thank you that you have given us one another as well, that we don't have to do this alone. We thank you for the church that you have established all over the world, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You finish what you start. And we thank you for that. And the church said, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.